All right, folks, now I want to bring in my special guest today. It is none other than Derek James, one of the best trainers in boxing. And for those who don't know, he is the trainer not only of one unified champion, but two unified champions, one of whom is the undisputed junior middleweight champion, and that is Jamel Charlo. He also is the trainer for unified world welterweight champion, Errol Spence Jr. And uh, I want to welcome in Derek James to the podcast. Derek, thank you so much for taking the time out to do this today. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, thanks for having me, and I'm happy to be here. Terrific. Let's start off with, uh, we'll go in order, since your, your first fighter that won the big fight a little, uh, a little while ago, back in mid-April, was Errol Spence Jr., had a tremendous performance, scored a 10th round knockout against Ordenis Ugas to unify uh, three of the welterweight titles, adding uh, Ugas's WBA title to the two belts that Errol already held. Um, just give me your initial impressions on the way Errol performed in that fight. I thought he was masterful. Just walked him down, kind of beat him up, busted up his eye, and stopped him in round 10. What were your thoughts watching from one of the best seats in the house right there in his corner? Well, you know, what's funny about it wasn't the best seat because the cameraman was right in front of me, but I could only see a little bit around him. But he did phenomenal, man. He, really, he, he followed the strategy, he followed the game plan. And he really just was focused. I mean, and the little small point where he lost the mouthpiece, that was, he lost a little focus there. But right after that, he jumped back on it, got right back in it, and jumped right back on it. Yeah, no, the 10th round, that was the one in Arrow sort of shook that off afterwards and kind of made a light, a, like a lighthearted joke that he sort of lost focus and uh, shouldn't have done that. But uh, other than that one little mistake, uh, when you go back and watch the video of that, when you fight that good of a fight, what is the trainer? Because your job is to pick out all the little mini, small little things and, and give him something to work on in your next training camp. When you fight such a brilliant fight like that, what do you do to 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 find, to get him to work on that, that you think he needs to improve on? No, I think that I think that no matter, regardless of what kind of performance they put on, there's always something, something they could do better. Because even though they were good at something, we can do it better, right? right? So for me, it was just like, I just, so listen, even after the fight, I said, listen, man, it was good. We got to get back in the gym. We got to get back in the lab and get it right. So it was like, or, or be better. And so the, the element, it was a couple of things that I probably saw, maybe one thing, thing that I saw, but it's like, it's always got to be, if you want to be great, you got to constantly keep building to be better. You can't be satisfied with a performance. You to keep trying to grow and be better. So you've obviously worked with Errol for a long time, his entire professional career, and when you watch him day in and day out in the gym, obviously then in the boxing ring, you see the things he's gone through outside the ring. We know about the car accident. Obviously he had the retina injury that forced the uh, original uh, uh, postponement of the fight with Manny Pacquiao last summer. Right. Uh, what do you, when you see him, what is, is there something that you can put your finger on that says this is why he's so tough to, for any opponent to, to, to beat or to do anything against? Because even when he's... Uh, even he's undefeated, but he's not—he's not just scraping by these wins. Other than maybe like the close fight with Porter, like everything has been pretty yeah. dominant. You know, he's not losing rounds really against these guys. Yeah, I think that you know it's like his his persistence, his 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 uh, desire to be great continually, like over and over again. His focus to be better, and um, and really because every every fight is like something that he's wanted, right? So. I want this guy. And like he said years ago, I want to be unified. We really said undisputed, but he said, it's going to be this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And those guys just have to stay in place, and he, and he beat those guys. And, um, hey, man, it's just his, his desire to be great, really, is what it is. All right, so now we all know he stood in the ring after uh, beating Ugas. 
to unify those titles. And he said what we all wanted to hear him say, which is he wants Terrence Crawford, who's the only uh, champion that he doesn't have their belt. He's got three. Uh, Crawford's got the one. Most people have them in the very top uh, of the pound-for-pound list. I did a pound-for-pound list on my publication uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I got a lot of flack, but I stand by it. I rated Errol Spence Jr. number one in the world, pound-for-pound, and I'll stand by that until I see what happens in a fight between him and Crawford or some other reason to not have Errol Spence Jr. number one. Uh, what do you think about a fight between Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford? I'm sure you've been asked that a lot. And do, we, do you think that we're going to finally get this big fight? Well, I love it. I love the idea of it. I love everything about it. I think that uh, when uh, once we get once we get it done, uh, once the deal gets done, it really is all up to Crawford. He has to sign the contract or whatever, or whatever, or agree to whatever terms. I don't know, but whatever. It's, he, this deal has been trying to be worked on for a minute, so it's not like it's not. So everybody's talking because people who don't know, and he's not. He's not saying that. Hey, hey we're talking. Do you think, in your heart, though, Derek, I mean, you've been around a long time. You've seen uh, the types of fights Errol has done. The you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if you're privy to every d- detail of negotiations, but obviously when there's a fight ready to go, you, you know because you got to get your guy ready. Uh, right. Do you feel like the Crawford fight will actually happen, uh, as Errol said, hopefully by the end of this year, sometime this coming fall? Uh, without a doubt. I'm, I'm, it's really, listen, they've been working on it, so I believe it's going to happen. I mean, I believe, it's a fight that Terrence wants. Fight the arrow once, so it's all about it. it could happen, right? I mean, it could happen. It's gonna happen, I believe, before the end of the year. Because that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm hoping so. How big of a fight do you think that is? I think it's like um, because I think with everything behind it, it's gonna be phenomenal. It's gonna be like the biggest fight in the past couple of years. Now, I, I think I think most people look at that and say that not only is it a is a terrific fight in the ring because they're both at a, such a high level and they both uh, they're both good defensively but they both like to fight you know they like offense yeah. also. It's gonna be a great fight, yeah. Uh, that, that for most people will look at it and say not only is it a great matchup and it, it, it pits two of the best fighters in boxing against each other who are still uh, undefeated and still at the top of their games, but it's really a legacy fight that with the winner of that fight is gonna it will be. You know, maybe not the only fight, but certainly one of the fights, uh, depending right. on what happens in the future, that both of these guys will be remembered by. What, what is your thought about that? You're right about that. I mean, it's like, um, and this, this thing has been building for years, like for the last two or three years, right? So COVID kind of slowed it down, but I think that good is that, that the audience, the world's audience, have been asking for something like this. Mm-hmm. Like, for it to happen anytime before would be crazy, because think about this. Say they fought, Errol beats him, then he has to go get two or three more titles. That doesn't make sense. Right. So, I mean, like, okay, you know so now he's going to get because he's still not undisputed, so they're just fighting for a unified title. Errol did what he wanted. He did it the right way. The, the only way that made sense is that, like he said, let me get these three belts over here, and then, you know, if you're still right there, we'll go. And Because then he's WBC, IBM champ, then they have to win. Go get WBA. It doesn't right. make sense. So this, they did it. He did it the right way, and it, it should be beautiful. Well, I was going to ask you about that. When I spoke to Errol a few days after uh, the victory against Ugas for this podcast, 
I said to him, you know, it's one thing to unify titles and perhaps to someday be undisputed, but you're doing it in a manner that's even more difficult than typical. You didn't go and win two belts at the same time or three belts at the same time or even four belts at the same time. You were the IBF champion. You picked off the WBC title from Porter. Then you picked off the WBA title from Ugas, and now you're looking to pick off the WBO title from Crawford. That, does that make it even more of a big deal to be undisputed if you can pick off one by one by one, uh, you know, one at a time to, to collect all four? And not to say it's uh, any less impressive if you can do it in one night, but it's harder to do it time after time. That's right. It's very, I mean, it's hard to reproduce greatness over and over anyway, right? People, I think people think that when they see it, I don't know. It, it's, it's so hard, and especially to do this, like to be Kell Brook at the same time. Arguably, he was the best welterweight in the world ever considered. Ever beat him. He goes by and beat Sean Porter. He goes back and beats Ugas. So it's like he's beating the guys who are the guys. It's very difficult. Very difficult. I mean, especially with Ugas, very intelligent fighter. Very. With, he he doesn't really fight with the Cuban style, mm-hmm. but he has that intellect, that intelligence, that slickness to where you have to be very cautious and very strategic in your approach. So, and so it's like, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You were saying you've got to be strategic in the approach. Finish what your, your thought. Yeah, you got to be very strategic in the approach because you got a guy who's going to counter punch you, a guy who he throws different punches to get other punches. So he may throw a wide shot to make you react to that, to throw a straight shot down the middle. So it's very intelligent. So you have to be, hey, man, you have to be on, on, your, on your perfect perfect game, perfect that night. Now, when you make these types of fights, obviously the the fighter is excited for them. They know it's a big part of their legacy. Uh, they make a lot of money. They have you know a huge audience, etc. But I know that from the point of view from a coach, from a trainer, it's got to be a big deal for you also because you get up when you're involved in a big fight just the same way a boxer is going to be uh, excited and, and motivated when there's a big fight. So when you have one of your fighters, in this case we'll talk about uh, Spence and we'll get to Charlo in a minute, when, when your guys are involved in big fights, how much do you as a coach get motivated? How much uh, do you get excited to be involved in these big events? I you know, to be honest, I don't think about it. But the reason why I don't think about it is because I can't get caught up in the hoopla of it. I can't get caught up in the ideal of it. Because once I do that, then I've lost. Because I'm, I'm thinking about this and that when I should be focused on strategy, game plan. So it's like, and, 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 because I know where we are and I know who we are, but I can't get caught up with the idea of who we are and what we are. But you can't take a, you can't take a couple minutes to savor the moment, to savor the event. I don't even after even after even after the fight. I'm not I'm, I'm not even around because like I just feel like when when I do my job, I'm feel accomplished. I don't have, I, I never celebrate. I don't I don't I don't celebrate any. I celebrate once I retire. <laughs> I think that because I think that when you're still in it. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like I can't celebrate anything because I'm not finished. Right. I'm not done. Do but you? If I'm done. If I'm done with it. Then I, I can, you know, I can celebrate it. Now, do you look at as a coach? I mean, the fighters match up with each other in the ring, mano a mano. But on the outside of the ring, you know, you have a lot of great super fights and big mega fights. They match up great trainers against each other. So. When, when when your guy like an Errol Spence, for example, if he gets this fight done with Terrence Crawford, you have Derek James in one corner, who is a very accomplished trainer, obviously, and you have a Terrence Crawford trainer, Brian McIntyre, also a, a respected and accomplished trainer. Uh, do you do you look forward to matching up, you know, your game planning ability with with another great trainer's game planning ability? You know, I don't think about it because I'm tell you what. So it was funny because it's like we were talking and somebody asked me this question before the same question. We fighting against Mikey Garcia, 
They said, how do you compare yourself to them? I said, I don't. I said, I'm my greatest competition. Mm -hmm. So I focus on me being better. If I know if I'm constantly getting better, they can't. They're, they're preparing for the Derrick James that they saw yesterday, not the one that they see today, and not the strategy they see today, and not the elephant they see today. So it's like, my, I mean, it'd be a good deal. I mean, but I, I don't think about it because, like, you can't. It's, it's still all about being caught up, being like, I can't make it about me. Right. Once I make it about me, then I'm lost again. So I have to keep on the guys. Keep every day I come to the gym. I have to. It's like it's a different. You see trainers that work guys out. I can I don't never want to be the guy to work guys out. I have to be constantly teaching because there's going to be a day that we're going to need that day that we I work them out. And El and Jamel are so intelligent. They know. I mean, we're doing that. This is a routine. You know, this is a routine workout or whatever. Right. So for me, I have to constantly keep working on things. And if they're not getting it, so it's like I got to keep pushing, keep pushing. So I can't think about training on the other side. I just focus on my guy and how he'll be able to implement the strategy and game plan. All right. Well, let's let's now turn the attention a bit to to Jamel's uh, uh, situation. Obviously, he had the um, the draw with Brian Castaño that was supposed to be for the undisputed title last summer. Uh, they had the immediate rematch. It took place this past. Uh, you know, just uh, last you know last month, uh, May fifteenth, right. he stopped Castagno in the tenth round. By the way, I found it interesting that your two guys in these big fights both scored tenth round knockouts: Spence against Ugas, and then Charlotte oh, against. I didn't, even, I didn't even know that. Yeah, even... <laughs> both in the tenth round. So uh, I guess uh, if you're a better, maybe bet the tenth round if it's uh, one of the, one of uh, Derek James's right. guys. Right, right, uh, that's fine. <laughs> in any in any case, though, so when he had the first fight with Castagno, it was a really outstanding fight. Uh, they called it a draw. Frankly, a lot of people. Uh, myself included, being honest, thought that Castagno edged it out. Nonetheless, they okay. called it a draw. You did the rematch. You know, whatever you thought about the result of the first fight, no doubt left in the rematch, given that it was a knockout. And I wonder, right. from your point of view, that made that that made uh, uh, Jermel now two and zero in rematches because he also had uh, the loss right. against Harrison. He came back and avenged that with a knockout, which is impressive to do it once. Now he's done it twice in rematches. But I wonder, from your perspective, as the guy that comes up with the draws up the plan, the battle plan, so to speak. When you go and get ready for Castagno too, uh, what did you, if anything, implement or talk to him or strategize differently uh, in the rematch than you did in the first fight? That obviously you were very successful in the rematch compared to the first fight. Well, well, what I what I told him is that first of all, I believe that he had some of the greatest legs in boxing. I mean, because remember when he used to fight with running, he would move a lot. So you know, say, okay, well, he had great legs, and you know, when you teach him how to what those movements create, those pumps create. So he really realized in the second fight the shots that he he created that he missed and opportunities because I think that once in the beginning he wanted to try to be slick and try to, you know, uh, stay on the rope. I don't know, what, but that's what he tried to do. It didn't work. And I, and I kind of laughed. I said, I told him, I said that, you know, you were trying to step side to side but he was throwing punches and you were running right into it. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an honest guy. I'm not, you know. But it was like, I said, but in this fight, we want to take everything that he used before, the idea that he used before, we want to use it against him. So that's basically what we did with this dude, his success. And, and really, I think that the people around him did a disservice because they, they, they never let the first fight go. And so he remembers in those last four rounds that Jamel was kind of physically too strong for him. Mm -hmm. but, I think, but I think that he was so convinced about the first fight that he forgot about it. And then when he got back on the fight, 
he's deeply reminded about how much stronger Jamel is than he is. So uh, it was a good fight, though, because he's a, he's a phenomenal fighter. He's very tough and he's very uh, respectful, so I like him. Uh, listen, I thought it was definitely, I know we're only uh, in the early part of the year, the first half of the year anyway, that it would be uh, the type of fight that we'll talk about when it comes time for guys like me in the media to discuss the uh, fight of the year, in my mind. Um, but how satisfying is it for you as a coach? I know you say you don't celebrate and you don't get too cut up in the, in the hoopla and everything, but it's still a huge accomplishment for any trainer to have not only a champion, but the undisputed champion when it's so hard to do uh, in this day and age. Uh, you know, that's a real feather in your cap to have uh, Jermel being the first ever uh, undisputed champion in the junior middleweight division, only the, the seventh fighter in the, in, the, in the four belt era to have an undisputed title. It's, it's, you know, and as I always make the point, when people talk about and they knock the belts and everything, I say, listen, if it was so easy to do, everybody would do it. But it's only been very few and far between since the early 2000s. So as the coach... Uh, do you look at that as like one of your great resume items that well, you have well, the undisputed well, it's, it's, it's like this. It's very beautiful and it's great that it's on my resume. And listen, it's not, and when I say I don't think about it, it's like I don't drive on I don't say everywhere you go have to be, no man, listen, you know, so that's what I mean, like I don't wear it to where it's a distraction. Right. Or I don't wear it to where it's my identity. But yeah, I love it, man. I mean, you think that the fighters love it. I love it. I love to be successful. I love to win. I enjoy winning, and I enjoy uh, helping these young men fulfill their uh, childhood, you know, fantasies and desires. So, but so when I say I'm thinking about it, I'm not so caught up on it that that's my every bit of my identity. And I'm, you know, what I mean, so so no, I, I I enjoy it, I embrace it, and I, I love it. I like to win, and I like to really do the job that I was hired for. Now, most so, people, uh, Derek, uh, most trainers. Not they, they have maybe some champions or they've trained champions or even had a unified champion. Maybe they've had an undisputed champion at some point. Right. You're the only guy in boxing today that has two guys who are unified, and one of them happens to also be the undisputed. So your guy's got seven of the eight belts right. between them, and there's a pretty good chance that by the time the year is over, your guys can get a chance right. to fight for that other belt. Um, what does that say about uh, Derek James, that you train not only – two unified champions, one undisputed champion. And, you know, I think pretty much at this point for Jermel, by, by the way he won against Castagno, now most people consider him in that top 10 pound for pound. You got two pound for pound top guys in your, in your group. I mean, obviously you, have, you got to have the horses to do it, I guess, but right, the right, trainer's right. got something to do with it. What is your take on, I, I, on your I, I spot? Think it's, I think it's nice. I, I love it. I, like this. I, love, I love the idea of it. I think that, um, and really, let's get some clarity. Derek James is for the last three years, I've not been the only trainer in the world the two unified champs. But, okay, let get back to this. <laughs> so, some clarity. But, no, nah, but I, mean, I think it's cool, man. I think that, uh, I think I like it. I, I mean, I like that my guys are, really, because really, this is what it's all about. Their performance. Right. Is what I care about the most. Because you can get the accolades, you can get a fight that everybody thinks like, even the first fight, when they thought he was a draw, okay. Well, then, it's okay, but I like that these guys can continue to perform my strategy and game plan continue to be implemented. You know, um, that's what I care about the most. I mean, I care that... Uh, well, how big would it be for you then? Because, uh, you, I mean, of all the things you have done in terms of your guys winning uh, important fights... You have not actually been the official trainer of the year, at least from the Boxing Writers Association of America, which right. hands out, you know, and I'm a member of that organization. I've been voting on that, on those various awards for 20 years. Uh, I know, again, you don't get cut up in the hoopla, but come on, be honest. You, you would love to win that, wouldn't you? I mean, that's a big deal when you yeah, get I mean, that. Like this. I think I would love to win it, but I think it's not. And for me, 
if if I don't, because I think they were you, but I feel like I probably should have won. I mean, just like when Jamel and Errol both won a unified championship like three years ago, the guy from the Wing Magazine told me that Ifimo Dad had a better year than I did. I'm sorry, say I, that one more. Say that again. I said like just like the year that Errol and Jamel won a unified title like three years ago, and I feel like hey man, I should have won it then. So really, it's like well, you never oh you should win it then now because. You got two unified champs. And then the guy from the Ring Magazine, I forget his name, he said that Chiapimo's father had a better year than me. I was like, how do you have a better year with one fighter when I have two guys that did it? Understood. And Errol was coming back from a car accident that I brought him. We, we didn't go to therapy. We trained day in and day out, right, to get him back to where he was and to be able to shut Danny Garcia out like that. Mm -hmm. And then I said, well, and after that, it's kind of like, my heart is stolen. Like, how do you, how do you get? Because you can't imagine not getting something that year, and then Jamel uh, just be the Rosario's. Like, okay, well, so. Well, for what it's worth, you got a pretty damn good shot at it this year. It seems to me, based well, on. Well, well, I hope so, man. Listen, but there's always somebody out. There. Yeah. Oh, saying, you know. <laughs> well, let me ask you about Jermel. I mean, going forward, I mean, he obviously comes off this huge victory with Castaño. Uh, now he's got all those belts, but now now comes uh, uh, the part where you, now you have to try to defend. And he made the point right. in his interviews and things after the fight that he's not looking to go run to the middleweight division uh, where his brother is. He's looking to continue to make a legacy at the 154 division. And he's very fortunate that he does have opponents that would probably – uh, make for interesting fights that the TV folks would probably be interested in, that the fans would probably be interested in. Uh, he was just ordered a couple of days ago to make the mandatory against Tim Zhu, uh, the son of the Hall of Famer Costa Zhu. Uh, he was on Showtime uh, recently in uh, back in March. Uh, do you have any? And also Sebastian Fandora is the WBC interim champion, another uh, PBC fighter that's also been on Showtime. Those seem to be the two logical opponents for his next uh, a couple of fights. Do you have any thoughts about a Tim Zhu fight, which is the one that was ordered this week, as well as the possibility of a Fandora fight? I mean, those seem like the best contenders that he could fight in his weight class. Right, I think that those, those, are, those are two great fighters, man, especially Fandora. I think that because of his height, maybe, it, you know, it causes a little difference. I mean, Tim Zuzu, I mean, I saw him fight, you know, he, they, they, and he's a good fighter. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to, I mean, for Jamel, I'm looking forward for the challenges because I believe that he is the true elite fighter in his weight division. And uh, he shows that he has phenomenal power and phenomenal boxing skills. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to a challenge with those guys. But, it's not, but like I always say, I want to fight, I want them to fight the fighters that they want to fight. Right. But you know, it, it, but Tim Zhu—that's that's the challenge, and that's what we're looking forward to. That's the one that you know they feel like you know it's WBO. I don't know how they just they jumped in there so fast and said this guy, but. It's okay. Yep, he was uh, the mandatory, I guess, even before the Castagna rematch. But th you oh, know, he's okay. got a, he's got a bit of a name and uh, bringing international audience with uh, with uh, his folks down in Australia. I know his people have been making noise about wanting to bring the fight to Australia. Though I suspect the more uh, money and and, and uh, the easier way to make that happen would be to have it here in the United States. Um, but uh, like I, I agree with you about those are two interesting fights. I want to ask you before we wrap up here. You got this young kid, Frank Martin. Undefeated prospect. I've uh, said to you before we started taping this. I feel like he's kind of flown under the radar a little bit in terms of prospects. Fifteen and zero with eleven knockouts. Uh, uh, a part of the Errol Spence. Uh, I think Errol is his manager, if I'm not mistaken. His, his promoter. His promoter. His promoter. Okay. 
Um, but you're also his trainer. He has uh, looked good in some of the fights on these undercards with, with wins against Ryan Klazuski and Romero Duno. You know, good quality victories for a young kid. Not, he's not so young, but in terms of just a handful of professional fights, he's 27 years old. But he's got an important fight coming up on, uh, on, on the Charlo Seleski undercard, on the, the, the middleweight Charlo uh, title defense. It comes up on June 18th against Ricardo Nunez, who's no joke either, 23-3. and Would, Tell me a little bit about what you think about the prospects uh, for, for championships or for stardom for Frank Martin, who you know, looks to me like the real deal. I think, that, I think it's great, man, I mean, for Harold to take the time out. And sign him is a big deal. I think that Frank is he's been he's been able to be um like come under that tutelage to where he's he's been taught, like he's been developed and taught. So that's a great thing for him, you know, it's like and he's a good fighter. Like he is he's he's a phenomenal athlete and he's working on his boxing skill set, which he's learning, he's getting better and better and better. So I think that with each piece of the uh, puzzle, each piece of the puzzle is fit back into where he's fighting better and better opposition. He'll keep getting better and better, and he's going to keep rising to the occasion. So I think that, you know, um, I never, because I never say that these guys will be world champs until they become world champions, sure. you know. But you see him in, in the life. you see him in the gym regularly, and I mean, obviously. Right, I see him in the gym every day. So I'm just saying, he's working towards that, and I truly believe that he'll be able to be the person that he wants to be. Now, the good thing about this, Derek, I mean, he fights in the lightweight division. There's a lot of action going on in the lightweight. So, obviously, uh, you know, you've got uh, Cambosis Haney. As we tape this, that fight takes place coming up uh, this weekend. So, we don't know what's going to happen. But as for the undisputed title, you also have uh, other talented fighters in the weight class. Uh, and Frank Martin, you know, seems like he's just a little bit below that, that level. But maybe just one or two wins away from putting his name into right. the position right. of being in that, you know, Again, I don't know if he's going to get a Tank Davis fight right away or, or, or a Ryan Garcia fight or even a championship fight, but he can make some noise. Do you feel like that he's on the verge of making some noise at the 135-pound weight class? I think that he's on the verge of it, but I think that the best part about it is that it's not like it's not, people know he's there, and they're paying attention. They just like, feel like this. And you know how something is that you may see something, but you don't say anything about it. They see it because the last three, four fights have gone on main event been on television so mm -hmm. they see it but it's like that's cool that you know uh, right there I think like two or three more fights maybe four he'll be right in the mix with everybody else so I think that it's okay to be overlooked gotcha. it's okay to be over uh, underrated because what happens is it's always a big surprise when, they, when you have to tell the truth and realize who you really are so it's okay well it sounds like you're keeping very busy then because you have your Duties with Errol Spence Jr. Hopefully we get to see him in the big fight with Terrence Crawford later in the year. You're busy with uh, Charlo, now undisputed champion, with some good business coming up potentially with these fights we just talked about. And a young guy on the rise and Frank Martin with an important fight coming up on Showtime in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so I know you're a very busy person. I appreciate you taking time to do this with me today. And Derek, thank you so much. And congratulations on all the success, even though you say you don't want to celebrate. Well, no, I don't. Everybody, everybody knows me. Knows that I really don't celebrate. And they're like, man, what? I'm like, no, nah, man. It's like, cause it's like, you know, no. Nah, I really, I mean, it's cool, and and I, I'm happy. I could be happy, but I just don't celebrate about it because I think that you can't get so caught up in what you're doing that this is this is how I look at it. Everything we do, we do for us. So it's like the fighters you do for us. So you don't expect other people to. You know, celebrate you anyway, I don't. 
But I think that I don't celebrate it because it's not over yet. So when I'm finished, when I'm done, that's when I'll celebrate. That sounds good. Derek, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate that, Dan. Happy to be here.